for me, I think NHS England can really lead the way globally with the introduction of, of ISO 7101. And I'd really like to see this as part of the standard contract for all healthcare organisations in England. So NHS England issues a contract to everybody for the delivery of services. Uh, and of course, there are other international standards included with that, um, that contract. And I think it'd be great to see this from a quality perspective been absolutely prominent. Now, it's going to take a bit of time and, and organisations are going to have to work hard to, to get to the level of accreditation, but I think that's a really, really important starting point. And I also, you know, we were talking about regulation and I think the CQC, the Care Quality Commission, recognising this standard as a quality standard uh, and utilising that as part of their inspection regimes uh, could be extremely powerful to the improvement of healthcare uh, in Britain and in England. Uh, more specifically through the powers that NHS England have and, and the Care Quality Commission. So I'd love to see it as part of that compliance to be an NHS organisation, that you have to have accreditation or be working towards accreditation uh, for ISO 7101, uh, because that is what's going to deliver better healthcare to the public and to the people that, that we're here for. We present The Standard Show, the podcast that brings you the stories behind the standards with Matthew Childs and Cindy Paragill. Today's episode is on ISO 7101, Healthcare Organization Management. Hello, this is Matthew Childs and welcome to The Standard Show, the podcast that brings you the stories behind the standards. Now, the voice you heard at the top of the episode was that of Professor Adam Leyland, healthcare practitioner, leader, academic, and standards maker, talking about the subject of this episode. And that is ISO 7101, the first international consensus standard for healthcare quality management. He was responding to my question about the use of ISO 7101 in the NHS in England. Now, it goes without saying that healthcare organizations everywhere are under increasing pressure to deliver more with less. And for many years, healthcare has been facing three sustained threats. Increasing demand from ageing populations, decreasing funding in comparison to this demand, and an international workforce shortage. This so-called triple threat is only anticipated to become more problematic. And of course, since 2020, healthcare organisations around the world have faced a fourth threat, and that is COVID-19. This resulted in changes to ways of working which required a balance between finances and quality. So it was in the context of these threats that led the international standards community, working with the healthcare sector, to develop ISO 7101. The standard sets out requirements for a quality management system designed to help healthcare organisations take bold steps to improve the quality of healthcare around the world. So this episode is my conversation with Adam Leyland about ISO 7101, what it's all about, who's been involved, the benefits of it being used, and the difference it will make. This is Cindy Parakil with a reminder that here on The Standard Show, we really welcome your feedback. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, especially if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Find and follow us on X at Standard Show and on Instagram at The Standard Show. And check out the show notes for all of the ways to get in touch. 
So, Adam Leyland is a director and clinician in the NHS in England. He was the international convener of the ISO Working Group, which developed ISO 7101, and is the chair of the BSI Committee on Healthcare Organisation Management. In this first part of our conversation, he describes what ISO 7101 is all about, why it's been developed, and who's been involved. And of course, being the standard show, he also describes his standards journey. I started by asking Adam, how and when did that start for him? So um, I've been racking my brains on the very first moment that this started for me. And I, I, I can't remember the exact moment. Um, and you might know Matthew, because we obviously met at the very, very start of my standards journey. Um, but the, the bit that really stands out to me is whilst I was at Coventry University, we hosted the Occupational Health and Safety Standards International um, Plenary. And um, we, we effectively took over the, the ground floor of one of our buildings in the university and welcomed people from all around the world to develop um, the International Standard on Occupational Health and Safety uh, for a week. Uh, and that was absolutely fantastic. And I met so many amazing people from standards uh, developments, uh, national standard bodies, uh, and of course, British Standards Institute. And um, talking to one of the uh, committee managers throughout that uh, week was what really sparked my interest in in the importance of standards and how standards fulfill my aim of being able to help people on a day-to-day basis and have that wider impact overall. And it was at that point that I was asked to, to help with a committee that had been a little bit dormant uh, and, you know, it, it had a great start, but it, but it just fell a little bit by the wayside for uh, for various reasons, uh, all very genuine and, and understandable reasons. And I was asked to uh, kind of uh, lead this committee uh, and to support it, its growth and development. And that was the Healthcare Management Committee for the British Standards Institute, which I've done for the last four years now. And um, I'm really pleased to be handing the reins over on that now to to a new chair whilst I remain uh, an active member of the committee. And just in in the short time that uh, that I've um, supported standards development, you know, not only have we grown the committee uh, tenfold, uh, our membership has dramatically increased and we've got a lot of active members. We've developed um, two standards. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot in four years, but for those that know standard development and, and how much time and effort it, it takes to develop these standards, um, I'm really pleased that we've got two standards now published um, the first one being our validation framework for the use of artificial intelligence in healthcare, which one of my colleagues uh, led on absolutely amazingly well and, and has been a leading force for the development of AI in, in healthcare. And our international standard for uh, healthcare quality management, uh, which has been published uh, very recently as well. And so um, so that that's what got me into standards. And what's kept me in standards is, is probably a, a really pertinent point of you know the networks, the people, uh, and the the value that standards add onto the day to day lives of everybody that you don't even know about. So everything that we use on a day to day basis, uh, particularly in Britain, has probably got a standard somewhere associated with it. But it's not something you think about. But without it, the quality and the um, the experience that we have would be not anything like what we've got uh, right now. And um, that for me is is where values adds a lot to our day to day lives, and um, and people give a lot of time to develop standards, which is wonderful. 
it's all voluntary in, in that development. And I'm really lucky to have had some amazing people in the committee that have not only supported our two standards that we've led, but have been supporting the development of tens and twenties of other standards, both across Britain, but also with the International Organisation for Standardisation uh, as well. And um, I'm really, really proud of that journey and really proud to be part of standards making. And, you know, I, I still feel like an imposter, though, Matthew. I, uh, I I do feel very fortunate to be part of the BSI and part of ISO. And um, some days I have to pinch myself and go, well, what? How on earth did you get there? What are you doing? Well, I do, I, do you know? Do you really know it? <laughs> well, I, I'm very proud also to have been played a little part in in your journey there. You talked about the plenary. And I do remember twisting your arm a little bit, saying, <laughs> "Would Coventry University like to host this plenary?" And you did, and it was it was it was fantastically successful. And the committee manager you talked about there, Sally Swingewood, formerly a BSI, yes. now with ISO, and doing fantastic things there. And it is um. It's been fantastic, Adam. It's been fantastic to see you have you become a standards maker, chairing committees, and now developing standards. And not an imposter at all. Absolutely fantastic work. And you mentioned, Adam, one of the standards you mentioned there, which I want to talk to you about today, healthcare management, ISO 7101. Can you tell me, Adam, in a nutshell, what is this new standard all about? Yeah, so I'm really proud that this standard is now published after uh, you know four years of, of hard work by some incredible absolutely incredible people in every continent uh, of, of this planet and so ultimately this standard is about really giving healthcare something it can it can hinge its quality management onto you know we've just come through one of the most horrendous times our healthcare services will ever experience uh, through covid and the tragedy that the pandemic caused and the change that we've had to experience because of that so i think this standard is is landing at exactly the right time that healthcare organizations lead it but for many years we've had multiple problems in healthcare uh, and and often referred to as, as the triple threat as such we've had decreasing finances the the draw on public money not only in the uk but around the world for everybody in in healthcare systems that are publicly funded or, or independently funded finances is a major major issue we have got a growing population the population uh, in every country of the world and more so in eastern parts of the world the population is growing faster uh, than than anywhere else um, which is great for people and great for families, um, but has a massive strain on on healthcare uh, resources and the ability for healthcare to react to people in the way that they need it to have a quality uh, of life overall. And we know that's just increasing. So particularly in England, the Health Foundation recently published a report of the projections of illness in England up to 2040. And we're going to not only see a, an even uh, older uh, population, um, but we're going to see people living much longer with multiple comorbidities uh, or multiple morbidities um, that is going to have an impact on on health services to make sure they live the best life that they can. Uh, but of course, that will be for a longer period, which is great. Medicine and, and, and what we do in medicine has really helped uh, improve life expectancy. It's really helped to improve the quality of life for people. Um, but there's more people that need it, and there's, uh, which leads me on to the third 
biggest threats of, of this triple threat is where do we get the staff to do this from? We haven't got enough people working in healthcare to deal with the growing population uh, that we've got. And of course, the demands that that brings onto a health service in, in the right way, of course, because it's all there to help people. And so because of that, I think the, the World Health Organization for 2030 uh, is, is estimating a 20 million workforce shortage of healthcare uh, staff. Um, that's that's huge. 20 million people we need in healthcare just to live up to the demands that we're facing uh, for 2030, let alone what's going to happen uh, in 2040 and the, the huge population increases uh, that we've got. And so this really creates a huge problem for, for healthcare organisations on how do you balance the money, your workforce and your quality? Um one of them's got to give, surely. It's, it can't be a perfect recipe. And we see all around the world where everybody is struggling uh, with this triple triple threat. And of course, exacerbated by what we've had uh, with COVID-19 and, and all of the tragedy and the, the hard work that's gone alongside that. So, um, so ISO uh, 7101 has really been a movement it's not just been the development of a standard. It's been a movement to improve quality uh, of populations and the quality that healthcare can have uh, around the world. And we chose a, a management system standard to be able to do that because that kind of gives the parameters and the principles and the openness for people to be adaptive and, and use the standard in the way that's going to help them to achieve what they think is the right thing, but give a standardized, uh, of course, approach to every healthcare organisation, um, no matter how big or small. Um, I think that's absolutely crucial. We've designed this to be applicable to any any size healthcare organisation, including the new systems that we've got, particularly in England. Uh, of course, Scotland and Wales have had health boards for, for quite a while, uh, which is a collection of, of healthcare organisations um, and can be used absolutely anywhere in the world, in any country in the world. We've had a motto throughout the development of this standard for the world, by the world, and it absolutely has been developed by the world overall. Now, Adam, you mentioned there that sort of triple threat uh, that healthcare systems are facing, well, the world is facing really. And listeners might, people might be listening to this and thinking, well, haven't healthcare providers been operating quality management systems up until now anyway? So I suppose my question is, why now? Why specifically is this is this the solution to the problems you've set out? Yeah, no, it, it's a really good question. It's something we, we've had to work through as we've developed this standard because there are quality management systems in existence. And of course, the most uh, important one and, and the one that uh, everybody knows around the world is ISO 9001 and, and what a brilliant standard uh, that is. However, healthcare is in a very different place. Healthcare, because of the impact of COVID and because of that triple threat and because of the uniqueness and the complexity and the volatility that we have in, in the health service, that we needed something really specific. We needed to expand upon what the principles of ISO 9001, which is also a management system standard, so that we could really give healthcare something that's going to improve the health and the well-being and the quality of lives of people all around the world. And that's what we set out to achieve. And that, that's what we did achieve. You know, we've worked very closely with the teams that developed ISO 9001. 
so that we, you know, it's not duplicative, it's not adding anything different, but it's adding context, it's adding value to healthcare organisations. That's never existed in the past. Uh, and we need that standardised approach so that the public has trust that, you know, no matter where you go, if you're in the same country or you're travelling the world um, from a globalisation perspective, that if somebody's got that stamp of approval of ISO 7101, you have confidence and trust that their quality and their quality management is the best it possibly can be, which is going to give you better healthcare and you're going to get um, not only not only better healthcare, but you're going to, your outcomes are going to be better. Where that's, of course, possible, because obviously all healthcare, you can't make people better. But at least you have confidence that that organisation is a quality organisation. And, you know, whilst we can argue ISO 9001 does that and, and, and can do that, but it's not healthcare related. So uh, any any sector can use 9001 and fulfil those, those amazing principles that are in there. But ours is much more specific to that healthcare sector and, and just adds that value to organisations to improve quality and be absolutely on the ball um, from a quality perspective. ISO's management system standards are among the most widely used and recognized standards. They include standards such as ISO 9001, ISO 14001, and ISO 50001, which apply to quality management, environmental management, and energy management, respectively. There are in fact more than 80 management system standards, a family of which ISO 7101 is now a part of. One of the fundamental principles of management system standards is that they can work together. And that's because of the harmonized structure. The concept of the harmonized structure is that management system standards are structured in the same way. This means that users who are familiar with one management system standard will immediately feel at ease with another, even when using it for the first time. Now, I want to come back later to sort of that wider ambition there that you've talked about and what difference the standard will, will make. But before we do, before I do that, um, you, you paid tribute earlier on to some of your fellow standards makers that are sitting around the table and, and discussing uh, what best practice means for, for all sorts of things within, within healthcare management. Can you talk me through who, who's been involved in the development of this particular standard? Who has been sitting around the table and discussing these issues? Yeah, so, so I'm, re- I'm really lucky that we've had um, a lot of national standards bodies uh, involved. We've had um, some of our uh, amazing organisations as liaisons into the working group. So um, we've had the international standards. Uh, sorry, got that wrong. There, it's not the international standards. The International Organisation for Quality, um, ISQA, um, in in their healthcare specific organisation. They've been heavily involved in supporting the development of this standard. Um, the World Health Organization uh, have been uh, connected in uh, and have been aware of, uh, of us developing this. Um, they can't get involved in standards uh, development themselves, um, but we've absolutely ensured a connection uh, with the WHO uh, throughout the development of this. Of course, are the, the safeguards for quality across the world uh, from a healthcare perspective. Uh, and we've had over 40 countries actively involved, turning up. Uh, every two weeks um, to a meeting of our working group 
and supporting, uh, in addition to that formal meeting every two weeks, subgroups that we set up uh, to develop sections of the standard, bringing in all of their expertise uh, to do this. So we've had people who are uh, clinicians, we've had people who are uh, non-clinicians, I don't like using that word non-clinicians, but people will know what I mean. We've had people who have been involved in healthcare, both from a, a leadership perspective, a delivery perspective, uh, or a think tank perspective. We've had people who have uh, worked in standards making for many years on different aspects or healthcare related uh, standards that have been involved. And we've had people from every single continent or habitable continent on this planet involved in the development of this standard, which has really been the most important thing for me in, in developing the working group that we were as inclusive as possible that everybody from a, a low middle income country to a, a high income country has a stake in the development of the standard. So this standard can be applicable to anybody. We've had people who are running hospitals in India. We've had people who are involved in primary care uh, across Africa. We've had people who are doing uh, amazing work in different healthcare settings in Australia and America and Canada. We've had people from uh, Japan, Indonesia, We've had people for all across Europe uh, involved in this as well. I'm so grateful that these experts and these senior leaders and these people who are delivering patient care on a day-to-day basis have taken three and a half, nearly four years of their time to sit with me and sit with the team to really get this standard right. We've been through... Uh, many, many, you know, I, I, if I counted up the hours, Matthew, we, we're going into nearly over a thousand hours worth of volunteering time, probably per individual um, to some degree in developing this standard with the effort uh, and the the commitment everybody's put in. But, you know, there's one person that this has absolutely been um, been a leading force in, uh, and I'm really proud to not only call her a friend, but the person who really started all of this off is Angela McCaskill, who was uh, from America, part of the National Standards Body in in America, ANSI. Uh, and her, this project, ISO 7101, led from her master's dissertation about quality. So what we've done through the evidence base is develop something with everybody that wanted to be part of this from every habitable continent and over 40 countries and from different walks of life, different aspects of healthcare to develop this standard, which is truly reflective of a modern healthcare society, but is also ambitious for the future. And and just as I finish on that one, we had a, a, an email uh, recently from ISO about the standards publication and about management system standards um, harmonization, and they're introducing some new clauses within the harmonized structure from an ISO perspective, and our standard already covered it. And that just speaks volumes to me about how much we've been future-proofing this standard, thinking of the horizon and what's coming, uh, and how now our standard is the first standard in ISO's history to include these brand new points about sustainability, uh, the environment, uh, and driving forward for better lives for people overall. I'm super proud of everybody that's been involved. 
Are you a postgraduate studying at a UK university? Do you have a research idea or project that involves standards in some way? Well, if so, BSI Student Research Program can help. The way it works is simple. BSI gains valuable information about an area of interest to their standards work, while you can benefit from mentorship to support your project and the chance to gain knowledge and exposure that may increase your future employability. To find out more about the program, including case studies of previously supported projects and how to apply, visit bsigroup.com forward slash education. You never know, your project may also end up as the basis for an international standard. In this second part of my conversation with Adam Leyland, Adam describes the features of ISO 7101, the organisations it's designed for, and the benefits to those organisations and others of it being used, and how the standard works alongside regulation. But at the end of the first part, Adam had talked about his pride in being involved in the development of ISO 7101, working alongside many other standards makers globally and sharing their passion and commitment to creating a great standard. I wanted to know more about that consensus development process for ISO 7101. So I started by asking him about where the challenges had been. So um, there's, there's been many. There's been lots and lots of challenges and, and, you know, over the last three and a half years, there's probably been a challenge every single week uh, associated with the development of this standard, both from a political perspective, a personal perspective from, from different individuals, and then just from a standards making perspective. Some some of this isn't easy at all. And, and one thing that, that really strikes me uh, with standards making is how important language is. And I don't mean language from a from a translational point of view for, for different countries, but just getting the language right so that people feel safe and comfortable. And that's one thing that I would absolutely say has been a biggest challenge is, is the the get, getting that language right, getting the nomenclature absolutely spot on so that everybody buys into it. And the hours that I've spent talking to people about just one little word and trying to change a little word uh, has been really, really difficult. But I will say from the working group perspective, what really worked for us was from the outset, I made my standards really clear for the way we operate as a working group. We uh, developed a commitment to each other and, and we used the acronym We Care um, because to me, it was the most important thing that we cared for each other, respected each other, left our organisational identities outside of the development of standards and really drove forward. And one of the principles that mattered to me to, um, in anticipation of challenges, you know, I, I, you know, this is the first big standard I've ever done internationally, um, but, you know, just through my leadership skills and, and being a professor in leadership, I knew that we were going to hit challenges. And the only way you can overcome challenges is by being really clear up front that we're going to have challenges, but this is how we're going to behave when we have these challenges. And this is what I want everybody to do. Uh, and of course, everybody committed to that. And one of the biggest things was, was not going back to unpick things that we'd already agreed. And I've seen this time and time again with loads of projects that I've been involved in. Uh, and so that experience that I've had led me to make this point really clear at the start of our working group uh, when we all came together and every single meeting over the, the 40, 50 uh, specific formal meetings that we had always started with a reminder of this commitment 
that the we care commitment uh, that we set out. Uh, and don't get me wrong, people did try at times to unpick things that had been agreed or voted on uh, in our working group by consensus uh, or things that we'd asked the technical committee to vote on. And people did try and unpick it. But I was absolutely resolute as the convener of that working group that we're not doing that. I'm not allowing that to happen unless there is a regulatory or legal reason why we need to unpick it. Um, and it did lead to many votes. We did have to um, you know, vote as, as, a, as a working group. And it, I use the word vote, um, you know, it's not ISO um, specific that working groups vote on things, but I wanted us to make sure we really had that consensus in the working group. So I did put some votes in just live on the meetings um, so that we could build that consensus and and go the way that everybody uh, wanted to go. And we, we went through we went through the full process. We had over um, nearly a thousand comments back uh, throughout the process. Uh, some of them really tricky, some of them really challenging and really questioning why you need this standard and i think that's that's the biggest message with with standard making is it is very trying it tests your own values quite a lot it tests your own resilience um and you know my my advice would be work through it you've got some great people around you when these things happen work through it and you will get to the results uh, and you'll be feeling like i am now super proud and elated uh, and really excited to see how this standard can have a major impact for people in the world. Well, like you say, Adam, the standard is now published after all of that hard work from yourself and those thousands of people uh, around the world. So take us inside ISO 7101. You know, what are the key features of the standard? So this standard is absolutely about the attributes and the principles to improving a management approach to quality in healthcare organisations. And what we've done uh, within this standard is really identify and use that evidence base to promote effectiveness, safety, accessibility, efficiency, and equity. They're the absolute key things that, that comes through on this standard. But we've broken that down into areas. So the, the areas that are in this standard talk about leadership. And, and the importance of how leadership really drives different cultures, behaviours and outcomes overall. And of course, there's a huge link from a leadership perspective into policy. And that's um, either pushing upwards uh, into governments or, or policymakers uh, in, in different parts of, of the world through local governments or national governments um, and using leadership then to inspire people and to get a different message out about the culture and the behaviors that you want to see uh, within an organization that is accredited to be a quality organization the other aspects that we've got within the standards are absolutely about planning uh, how do you plan to have quality how do you plan to run an organization and there's an old saying of you if you fail to plan you plan to fail uh, and so it's really important that we got a whole aspect of planning within this standards so people understood how you how do you plan for quality you know, you can't, it's not just a flick a switch and there you go, you've got quality. Some of this will take years uh, and will take massive changes within organisations to implement. So how do you actually plan for that and how do you do risk management uh, effectively? And this is where ISO 7101 links into other standards that are, that are present at the international level because we can't address every single concern. We can't say, 
um, you, we can't within ISO 701, we can't give you a standard for risk management. But what we can do is point you to the standard for risk management. But what we can say is you need to have a risk management process within your organization to meet this standard uh, for, for management quality in healthcare. So planning is really important. That risk management uh, is really important. One thing that our uh, wonderful experts from, from around the world um, also were really passionate about including in the standard was how do we communicate with people? Healthcare is all about communication, whether that's from a one-to-one basis with a clinician to a patient or how you're supporting the quality of healthcare through communication, both internally within an organisation, but also externally with the populations that you're there to serve. So we've got a huge section of setting out those principles associated with communication. And as everybody uh, who's ever been in uh, in a healthcare setting knows, there's a lot of documentation that goes with it. There's everything that you say is written down, everything that's done for you is written down. So the documentation of healthcare is a huge quality aspect because that documentation not only is the record of what happened, but that's how we understand how quality is impacting on people. That's how we audit things. That's how we check that changes are being made and it's effective when it is made because we can track all of that through and see the data and see the evidence of those interactions from a, from a um, an individual uh, perspective. We can identify those trends and themes which leads us to build better healthcare organisation overall. As you'd expect, there's also a huge operational aspect. So we've got facilities, waste, storage, all of these things. Again, I've got other standards associated. We signpost to to different bits and, and the bit I'll just finish on because um, I could keep talking forever about what's included in in this standard but there's a huge aspect about people how are we really inclusive uh, bring diversity of thought and co-produce our future healthcare organizations and that has a huge quality implication if we don't get that right you're never going to get quality overall so there's aspects about how do you involve patients and the public what's the education and training needed for everybody how are we evaluating what we're doing? Uh, and we operate the PDSA, the Plan, Do, Study, Act cycle as a quality improvement mechanism uh, within the standard because quality in healthcare isn't a one-off tick box exercise. Just, just complying with the standard at the moment in time that you're accredited is great because you can demonstrate that you have, t- you have achieved everything associated within the standard to get accredited. But that is just the first part of the journey. You've got to continuously apply it, continuously improve and demonstrate how you're improving when that accreditation comes around the second time. Do you want to help make people's lives easier, safer and more enjoyable? Well, why not become a standards maker and have your say on the development of standards? Standards affect all of us every day, wherever we go, whatever we do. By defining good practice, they help people, organizations, the economy and society to do things better. Each year, Standards Buddies publish thousands of standards, and we are looking for more people like you to join our community of standards makers. We welcome applicants from all fields, backgrounds, and career stages. Our goal is to have a balance of views around the table. 
by becoming a standards maker, you could help to create cities that boost people's well-being, make strides in AI governance, build healthier and more inclusive workplaces, and even develop higher quality healthcare systems. So, if you want to make a difference and shape the world through standards, start your standards making journey now. Simply visit bsigroup.com forward slash get involved. Now, Adam, you mentioned that this uh, this standard is applicable for all sorts of healthcare providers all over the world. It has to be relevant for. I think you mentioned, you know, hospitals in in India, or it might be in the states, or, or here in the in the UK. Could it, I want to ask you to get really specific here and think about think about the, one of those institutions? So, you know, I might be a senior leader uh, in a in a, a hospital in the south in the south of England. I'm aware of this standard, thinking about how we might improve quality, looking to adopt it, and we start using it. You know, maybe after two, three, four years, you know, what are the benefits of my hospital of using this standard? A standard will give you the processes uh, naturally. And it will give you all of the aspects that you're going to, if you achieve this, you could have a much more improved healthcare uh, organisation overall. This is, of course, evidence from other standards uh, and how standards have improved lives and have saved lives and have developed economic viability for areas. So we know standards can do this overall. But from this specific ISO 7101 perspective, we know just through what other standards have done, that the outcomes can have a significant impact, not only on individuals, but the economic environment of a locality or a country uh, in that sense. Because if access and outcomes uh, from healthcare is poor already, then there's going to be a reduced working population contributing economically. It's in everyone's interest to make healthcare and the outcomes of healthcare much better than what they can be. So what this really does is it will start to improve experience and satisfaction of people receiving healthcare. And that does not necessarily need to be a patient uh, or, or a service user. That could be their carers, their relatives, their, their wider family as well, because we know healthcare impacts on not just that one individual, but uh, a lot of people at the same time. And as I said earlier, the the importance of being accredited with a standard demonstrates to your patients and your public that you're wanting to do the very best that you can from an international um, recognised standard that, as I say, 40 countries, every continent in the world has helped to develop. You know that, that they, they are interested in quality. They've got a passion for quality. They want to improve. So your reputation can improve because of that, you become an organisation that's more attractive to people because, you know, if, if you had two choices uh, of hospital to go to, and a lot of people have a lot of choice, um, not everywhere, but there are choices where you can go to, and you looked at two, two similar institutions and one of them had accreditation with ISO 7101 and one didn't, and you did a bit of research and you, you Googled what it meant, when you realise what ISO 7101 does, that's the hospital you want to go to. So it has a massive reputational impact, uh, as well as those outcomes of improving patient experience and satisfaction uh, and healthcare, um, healthcare uh, outcomes for patients. But similarly, it's really attractive as a member of staff. If, if I, okay, they're really interested in quality as an organisation. They've got accreditation. 
you know, I would want to go and work for them because everybody wants to be part of something that's doing well and delivering well and is is driving improvements and has got that mindset associated with it of quality and improvement. So recruitment could improve, retention could improve because people are going to want to stay with you, see you on this journey doing something um, really differently. And we know that organisations that do this um, are more likely to be performing against what they need to perform against. You know, those metrics that they're given um, from uh, organisations, from governments and what have you, if you've got your workforce there and you've got a motivated workforce and you're driving a different culture of quality and improvement, then you're going to improve on, on your outcomes, your KPIs, your performance metrics uh, overall. And what that can then lead to is more devolution from your commissioners or the people that are funding you because if you're achieving they're going to give you more leeway to do more better and and greater things Uh, and that opens up new funding opportunities and exciting ways for organizations to develop and to become bigger better uh, and more impactful overall because they've got this standard operating that's helping the leadership helping the running uh, of an organization and then that can lead to new medicines and new research and new outputs for dealing with with these um, growing uh, population demands and the multimorbidities that we're going to see in a really different way which can lead to better health outcomes as well uh, and and a change in how health organizations operate within within their area so for me this this is the benefits are massive and it just keeps rolling on and rolling on and i'm so excited to see it now come to fruition and to see, you know, and hear about all of these benefits that are going to come out. And I'd love to be able to, in five years' time, is have a look at the impact that it's had and and what it's actually done. Because I think there's going to be other things in, in this that, that none of us can see right now. But um, I'm really excited to see, see it all come together. Adam... Healthcare obviously is a hugely regulated part of, of, of our lives, really. A huge amount of public money is spent, public and private money is spent on healthcare provision. I just wonder how, how does the standard fit with sort of all, all these regulatory requirements for healthcare globally? Yeah, so so there's there's different factions of thoughts on regulation overall. And some people think that, you know, if if a regulator comes and, and they see uh, see things and it's bad and, and you know give you a rating of, of inadequate or or requires improvement, as we've got in England with the Care Quality Commission, then actually it's a bit too late um, by the time they get there because um, it's been bad for a while. It's not just bad on that day. And if they come, uh, and the, the other train of thought as well, is if they come and uh, you're good or you're outstanding as we rate in England, then actually what's the point in them coming in the first place because you're doing all right. So so regulation's got a huge, huge um, difference of opinion uh, globally uh, associated with that. However, from my perspective, where, where ISO 7101 really helps from a regulation perspective, it, it gives you that stamp of approval, for want of a better phrase, before the regulators come. And, you know, if you're complying with this and you've been accredited to this standard and you're operating the standard in the way that it needs to be doing, then you can demonstrate to regulators that we're all over quality. We're a quality organisation. Not only do we say we are, but this accreditation body says we are because we're compliant with ISO 7101 and that matters to us because we're on this journey to improve continuously and so i think that helps from a regulatory perspective i think it gives a lot of confidence to regulators i think it will help regulators to determine where do they need to spend their precious resources and attention um so 
you know, hypothetically, if I'm an organization that's accredited with ISO 7101 uh, and uh, I'm doing well uh, and I'm performing and achieving all of those benefits that I was just talking about, the regulation might not come to me for quite a while. They might they might be really content that the triangulation of their evidence, the assurance that they're getting from that confidence and that evidence base means they don't need to come and regulate me right now. They'll still come at some point because absolutely that's the right thing to do, but they can go and concentrate on areas that perhaps haven't got the same quality and perhaps are really struggling and need that support and need that guidance from from a regulator. So I think I think there are there are huge benefits again to uh, adopting ISO seven one hundred one and utilising this as part of your regulatory compliance. Um, there are other standards out there that can help with regulatory compliance as well. And you're thinking about data and security. Um, that again all adds this confidence and this evidence base to how you are as an organization and how you want to do the best thing possible. Um, but yeah, I think I think you know, I really do believe that regulators will be uh, massively on board and supportive with this standard as well. Now, Adam, I'm gonna put you on the spot now. You talked earlier there about impact. So overall, in your view, what difference will this standard make and how will we know when it's made it? So for me, I will know that this standard's made an impact if we benchmark where organisations are right now on their delivery and where they'll be a couple of years after they've implemented ISO 7101. I expect a significant increase in output. I expect a significant increase in experience of patients. And for those that are there from a commercial perspective, an increase in their income uh, as well. Um, that's a bold statement to make, I know, but I really, truly believe that this is going to have such an impact on the delivery of healthcare services around the world for people that use to adopt this standard, that it will do all of those things. This is for me that what's driven me throughout this standard uh, and the development of this standard is that this will make an impact to every single person on this planet. There's no shadow of a doubt that where where this is used, that impacts absolutely going to be there. And of course, I'd love to see every healthcare organisation in the world using this standard and being part of this standard. Um, even if you don't get accredited, that doesn't that doesn't matter ultimately to me. It matters to national standards bodies, of course, and accreditors. But what matters to me is that you adopt the principles and you adopt what we're what our international experts have set out to say this is what makes a quality healthcare organization. Because we all come to work in healthcare to do the best thing we can for our patients and our populations on a daily basis. And so using this, the implication on that will not only be highly satisfying and rewarding for individuals but you'll be demonstrating the improvement that you've had. Uh, and how wonderful does that look? Everybody wants to be part of something that's great and, and doing well. And if you just look at where you're at now, look at where you're at when you've implemented the standard, you will see such significant improvements to the outcomes of healthcare, the populations that we serve, and having people working for us longer, more attractive for people to come and work for us. And we can start to deal with some of these triple threats uh, that I mentioned at the very beginning, because you'll have more income, you'll have more workforce. You're never gonna, you're never gonna stop people coming to the hospital, but they'll want to come for the right reasons, and you'll be able to give them the best that you possibly can, because you've adopted the principles of this standard. 
My thanks to Adam Leyland for sharing his insights and experiences about the standard ISO 7101, healthcare organisation management. And not only that, for his passion for quality in healthcare and for that desire for the standard to make a real difference to patient experience, not just here in the UK, but right around the world. And I'll be honest, there's a bit of pride here in yours truly too, in having played a small part in Adam's standards journey, in me being right there at the beginning. Now, if you want to know more about the standard ISO 7101, how to get support for research about standards and how to get involved in standards, then check out the links in the show notes. You have been listening to an episode of The Standard Show with Matthew Childs and Cindy Paragill. Subscribe to The Standard Show now, wherever you get your podcasts. You just heard a stripped media production.